Okay, if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And these are the names, is the Hebrew name for it, and we've been walking through. And I just, I just today, I'm just, how surprising and amazing and wonderful it is to be in the family of God. And I, I, I hope you know that. And I hope you know what the vital connection is that puts you in the family of God. That you're not wondering. That you're not somehow thinking, well, I wonder if I'm in or out, or I wonder where that is, that I'm really in the, in the will of God, or he's using me, and, and, and what does it mean, all of these things? Because, because so often, in so many ways, what I really want is God to help me with my life. I want him to help me live a good life. I want him to help me over my burdens and over my anxieties and over my pieces. And, and I want to be a good, I want to be a good man. I'm a man. I want to be a good husband and a good father. A good worker, a good person. And then I, and that's what I long for and I want to be. And, and, and sometimes in that, as I consider the counsel of the, this, this book we've been given, the Bible, which is God's word for you and me, and it's sufficient and it has authority. Sometimes what happens is, is that I start to think of it more along the lines of all the principles I'm going to find of how I can be good. And we've come, especially in the Old Testament, to these stories that I think tell me how God works. And once in a while, I start to read it, and it takes this whole house of cards that I build around what it means to be upright, good, and in the family of God. And it just gets exploded. God just explodes it. Because he's God. And I'm not. And you see in the text today, the word of God. This heavy, amazing story we get to do today. It is not for the faint of heart. If you've got little kids, they may not want to be in this story today. It'll rock your world. I want to show it to you, but, but you got to know, you know, we've read this Old Testament, we've considering Moses, the man of God. That's how he's referred to in many places in the Bible. Moses, the man of God in Chronicles and Isaiah, different places. Now, this is the words of Moses, the man of God, Psalm 90. Right? And we got to see or started to see. Think about his call, you know, this bringer of the law, this deliverer of Israel. There's no one like him, and God spoke to him face to face. And it was kind of surprising when the holy God broke into his life and entered his life. Because he, he wasn't some superman. He was an outcast. He'd run away from people and out of Egypt because he'd murdered someone. This really special beginning where he his echoes creation and, and, and echoed kind of Noah in the ark. And you put Moses in the ark and he, he's going down and he gets adopted by Pharaoh's family. It's this amazing story and an amazing position. And then he just messes it up and runs away into the wilderness, right? Into the desert. And he just lives He's not like, oh, and I was worshiping God out there. No, he goes to work for some priest of Midian who's not worshiping God. And, and, and in case you didn't catch it, he's there for 40 years. A lot of people, somebody asks, well, he could have been there just six months. No, I'm stealing from ahead because in Exodus 7, it's very clear that Moses is 80 years old when God's call come to him. Anybody here over 80? Good, maybe there's still time for God to break into your life at some point right? 
He was just living. He had a family. He got kids. And he was out there just sort of living life. And he's never gone back to Egypt. He's never checked on his family. He's never done anything like that. He's living with the Midianites just hanging. And then at the right time, God got him to the right place. And God appears in this amazing burning bush. Not subtle. And he calls him. Moses is like, no, thank you. God's like, oh, no, you're coming. I'm God. You're not God. I got a plan, and I'm going to use you. And that's so cool to my heart because God uses broken and lost and outcast and not the best of the best, but he decides and he breaks in. And It's good for my heart. You're never going to be too small or too broken or too much a sinner to be his. And that's the context in which we pick up the rest of the chapter today. Because this we need to get into. I, I, read the, I love to read the Bible. I hope you do. It's an amazing book that shows our Savior and, and brings out this amazing central thing you've got to get. You want to be a good parent. You want to be a good husband. You want to be a good wife. You want to be a good person. You've got to know how are you connected to God? How are you? And you've got to tell your kids that. You should be telling everybody this is the way. And I need it for my own heart. This text blows up in my face, and, and, and tonight, today we're calling this, we're calling this a blood and family because this is about our family, and it's about blood. His blood makes us family. You get that, right? His blood saves us. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean exactly? So I want to, from the Old Testament, see this picture, because the Old Testament, full of these pictures, pointing forward to our Savior, pointing forward to our relationship. And here it is, it's offensive, somewhat hard, but let's, it's life, and it starts, it starts really with the donkey ride. So let's start with the donkey ride. This is Exodus chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 18. It's about Moses. So it says this, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, after God calls him, after God commissions him, and time to go to Egypt, right? This is what happens next. So Moses went back to Jethro's father-in-law and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Okay, come on, get into the story a little bit with me. We're reading this. We want to think about it as we read it. So Moses goes back, and doesn't this surprise you a little bit? Um, excuse me, burning bush. We have this amazing interaction where God talked to me. God told me I got to go to Egypt and free his people. And so Moses goes back to his father and says, God talked to me in the burning. No, he didn't say anything like that. I want to go check on my family. He doesn't tell him the truth. Does he want to go check on his family? Well, maybe, but, but, but that's not why he's going, right? He's sitting there with the staff that God's given him that's turned into a snake and he had to pick it up by the end and it turned, it's like, whoa. So I'm thinking maybe he's like, he's either manipulating, maybe, maybe he's a little bit afraid. You know, I'm 80. If I tell him this story about this bush that I saw, maybe there's the local like institution they'll put me in. So I'm just going to tell him I'm going to go check on my family. I'm not telling him about this crazy, amazing thing that's happened to me. The encounter didn't make him a better person. 
So okay, let's keep going. And, and, and the Lord said to Moses in Midian, verse 19, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. That's also a really interesting statement, right? It's like he says, okay, all the people are dead. Moses had five objections that he's already like, God's already patiently walked him through. This wasn't one of them. But then the Lord just tells him this. Because I think this is probably what he was really afraid of. You know, he left Egypt because Pharaoh said, uh, let's, let's kill Moses. And so Moses fled because they were trying to kill him. And then time's gone by, long time's gone by. They're all dead. He doesn't know that. The really interesting thing of why this is here to me, it's, it starts to pull you in a little bit. I hope it does, because there's a statement almost the same. And if you looked at the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, there's the Greek of this and there's the Greek of Matthew where an angel of the Lord appears to a man named Joseph and says, all the people that wanted to kill you are dead. Come back home with baby who? Jesus. God's showing how he works, right? God's showing this thing where he, he enters in, he's entering in, and he knows what's going on. And underneath it, everything is really about God's being with Moses. I just want to know how he's with him. So verse 20, Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. So there it is, the donkey ride, right? They're getting on the donkey, his wife and sons, he's heading out, this old man with his wife and his kids and the, and the staff of God in his hands. Okay, every single line, you should be thinking, well, yeah, of course, of course, the staff, right? The one he draw. No, wait, 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 the staff of God. It's only called that here, really. There's one other place, but it, here's the thing. Moses went back to Egypt. What do you think God's gonna equip him with? I'm thinking Thor's hammer. I wouldn't mind like a, the Excalibur. Actually, you know what? I really think that God should, should, should God, if he's, if God is going to equip him like an Iron Man suit or something. He could do it. Instead, it says the staff of God. What's the staff of God here? Really interesting, right? It was Moses' little shepherd's crook that he, it's a dried piece of wood. It's Nothing. It's what he used. It was just this common thing that it wasn't ruined. It wasn't carved. It wasn't beautiful. It was just this staff that when God was interacting with Moses in this chapter earlier, he said, hey, drop the staff. And so Moses dropped his little shepherd crook and it turned into a snake and he'd pick it back up and it turned back into a a staff again. So now it's the staff of God. God takes normal things and he uses them, right? That's been this whole message and just everything echoes it. Everything walks around this idea. It's not like, oh, we found this special guy. His name's Moses. No, no, God found the ordinary guy that he's, he's going to use. <laughs> and he found this dry piece of wood and he's going to use it. Old broken Moses and God wants him and that's Moses on a donkey ride now down to Egypt with his family. His mission is to free Israel, God's people, because he's heard of their suffering. God has. And then there's something bigger afoot too. Listen to this. Verse 21, And Yahweh the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power. Remember those? He gave him three so far. 
he's foreshadowing, he's going to give him a ton more. But the three he given, and remember, it's one, was, one was drop the staff and it'll turn to a snake and then pick it up by the tail and turn back into your staff. The other is put your hand in your, in your coat and take it out. It'll be leprosy and put it in again and it'll go away. And then that was not right. And then take some water from the Nile, it'll turn to blood. Make sure you do all those, you know. But, God says, oh no, there's always a but. But, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So God's going to do something. We'll talk more about this when he, God actually does it because he's going to start first, first ones. It's about Pharaoh's heart hardening himself. The, the, the latter par, uh, plagues are about God hardening his heart and what's that interaction and how does it look like. But that's not for today. I just want you to see God's introducing something important and you're getting an important piece here. Look at the next verse. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. What does he say? Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Whoa. Now it's easy to tell, well, he's talking about what's coming in the Passover. Sure, sure, sure. But look, he's, he's telling Moses now, this is, this is the deal. It's about the firstborn son. Something's going on there. So God's speaking to this 80-year-old runner, this ex-murderer heading back, and now he says to him, do all the miracles, <coughs> but Pharaoh won't let everyone go. So say to him, Israel's my firstborn. Let him go, or I'm killing your firstborn. This is a very important idea. God's freeing his firstborn. Let him go because he's mine. So if you don't see that there's something a little more than just a deliverance of some people going on, you're not thinking it through. It echoes what God's going to do with what? His only begotten son. His seed when he came to earth. He went down to Egypt, and when the men who were seeking his life died, he brought him out of Egypt. Almost the same words, right? Look at the Matthew passage. It says here, it says in Matthew chapter 2, it says this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. That's quoting Hosea 11, speaking of Israel, but no, he's speaking of Jesus, saying, hey, my son is coming. So this imaging is kind of a pointing to something greater, this communicated through these words. And, and he says, let go of my firstborn, and if you won't, I'll kill your firstborn. And so this, this angel of death is going to come over and kill the firstborn of Egypt, including Pharaoh's son, when he doesn't let Israel go. And the firstborn of Israel is going to be spared through the blood of the Passover lamb, right? Which is put on the doorposts. Even right here before Moses goes, this is the real salvation. God saying, I'm going to spare my firstborn through the blood. It's not about getting a hero to go back and getting an army to deliver. It's not about equipping him with superhero strength or super equipment or super cool stuff so that he can accomplish something massive. It's about salvation through the blood. And in case you miss it, in case you think, well, yeah, Swanson, whatever, there's these ties, I get it. Then there's this. There's a bridegroom of blood. Because that's what comes next. 
this critical connection. So Moses is on his way, and he's on this donkey, and there, well, his kid and his wife, so two kids, you think he has two, his oldest is Gershom, and they're headed down to Egypt together. And it says this, at a lodging place on the way, verse 24, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What? Whoa, 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 back up. God just called Moses. He's doing what Moses said to do. And now God met him and sought him, sought to put him to death. What? <laughs> Excuse me. There's a lot of ink spelled on these verses. And you can go back and read, especially because the difficulty with the couple verses here is that they're all pronouns. It never says Moses. It just says him. Who is God trying to put to death? Not Moses, the man of God. No, it looks like that's who he is. That's who I'd say this is. If you look at the context in the best you can, you go back to who's talking, who's talking to who, and God's been talking to Moses. It says God's, God's trying to put Moses to death. Okay, that should be a problem. Yeah, you laugh. Let me ask, if God seeks to put you to death, will he succeed? Why does he even say sought to put him to death? It would just say, and God killed him. This whole seek to put you to death thing sounds like God can't. Yeah, no, he's not actually killing him. He's giving us a picture of how important this is. It's crazy important. All of a sudden, God who has commissioned Moses, God who is sending him, God, and he's doing what God has said to do. He's going down to Egypt. He, he's not, maybe not totally like upfront about it with Jethro. That's okay. He's got these fears. I would have them too. The key thing is sought to put. It means Moses came down with some affliction, some paralysis or sickness or something, because if God really wanted him dead, he'd be dead. And, and so why? The question, of course, why? Why Why would God strike at him? Why would God ever strike at his people? What, what, I don't get it. He's for him or he's not for him? Is he conflicted like they're arguing and there's God one and God two and they have like two minds? What? No, 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 no. Remember the context. What was the context? We just read it. Tell Pharaoh, Israel's my firstborn. Let him go, or I will kill your firstborn. And now God is striking at Moses. Why? Because it gets even stranger. Read on. So Zipporah, that's Moses' wife, his Midianite wife. Zipporah took a flint, that's a knife, and she cut off her son's foreskin, and she touched Moses' feet with it. And she said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Keep going. 26. So he let him alone. God let Moses alone. It was then that she said, Zipporah said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Whoa. Thanks, pastor. I'm so glad this is in the Bible. What? <laughs> what's happening what yeah whenever you see something that is so strange and you're thinking so what 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 then it's time to slow down because the scripture's there for a reason it's not there for nothing it's not there just well this is a very strange passage let's go because pastors usually go really slow really fast this one's a really fast one a bragging blood great okay let's go to the next verse no 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 wait this is actually very important if you can get this there's actually something really cool going on because what a crazy scene right God strikes at Moses, and Moses is looking at death. So his wife, Zipporah, she takes this knife, and she cuts off her firstborn's foreskin. She circumcises Gershom. And then she touches Moses with it, and it's bloody. 
So she says, you're a bloody husband to me. Like she's angry, kind of, right, because of the circumcision. So there's lots of conjecture. There's lots of like, like trying to, to, to figure out more of the scene because we're not given very much. But you need to look at just what we are given, which is what? Which is what? Which is, which is this. God is seeking Moses' death, and it stopped when his child was circumcised. That means his child, what? had not been circumcised, right? It's okay to say that. It's like she took it off and she circumcised him a second time. No, you don't do that. So super important, the real basis for Israel being God's family is what? Well, it's that they worship him really well. No, Moses has been in the desert for 40 years not worshiping God. Well, so they stick around and do everything he says. They're not doing anything he says. There's one thing. That means you're a part of God's family that's part of this amazing covenant where God took this guy out of nowhere from Ur and he said, hey, come on over and I'm going to find you a land and a people and you're going to be a mighty nation. I'm your God. Follow me. Do this to all your kids. Because this is the thing. What was it? It was this thing called circumcision, right? Well, let me show you really fast. Back in Genesis chapter 17, this is where God set it up with Abraham. He says, I will establish, this is God talking, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring for their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I can't overemphasize the importance of this for you. Why? Is God your God? Is he your dad? Is he your father? Are you in an everlasting relation? Because if you are, all of this works. Everything in your life will work. If you know without a shadow of a doubt that God is your God, everything is okay. Because no matter what may come, no matter what circumstance may come, no matter what difficulty may come, no matter how much you feel connected or not connected, if the reality is that you are connected, you're going to be okay. I'm saying what I would say to my kid. Kid, I don't know how your life's going to go, but if you're connected to God and he's your dad, he's got everything for you. And this was it for Israel, right? This was it. This was it. This was it. You said, okay, this is the thing you have to do. Okay, keep, keep, keep going. And, and after verse eight, hey, this is, I'm going to give all to you, he says to, to Abraham there. But then he says this in verse nine. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. Gonna, okay, what's the covenant he's going to give? Maybe it's the 10 commandments. Maybe, no, this is way before the 10 commandments. They haven't come yet. That's nothing to do with law keeping. What does it have to do? Well, verse 10. It says, and, and it says, it says there. No. I lost it. Where did I put it? Verse 9 says, As for you, you shall keep my covenant and your offspring after you through other generations. And verse 10 is the key thing. I'm sorry, I said there, I said, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and your you and your offspring. This is it. This is the berit, the covenant, the relationship. Every male among you shall be what? Circumcised. That's it. 
The rest of it's about, hey, when you do it, do it on the eighth day, do it here, do it there. But I'm telling you, this is what marks you is that your male kids are going to get circumcised. I don't understand. It's okay, you don't have to understand. You have to know this was the thing. This is what set them apart. This is what God told them. He didn't tell them, man, make sure when I give you commands that you follow it right away and you do it, and if you don't, then I'm going to get you. He said, no, no, you have a relationship with me that, that I will be your God forever and he, through all generations, and I'm yours. And, and, and honestly, there's a big piece he's pointing forward to Jesus Christ who will come out of the line of Abraham. And this is the amazing thing of, 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 of the salvation through God becoming a human being. He was a Jew. Jesus was. Circumcision. What did Moses not done? Circumcise his kid. He'd follow God. He'd obeyed God. He had an encounter with God. God. God still broke into his life. God is doing all these amazing things with him. But on the way down to Egypt, and he's talking about, you know what? If you don't let my firstborn go, I'm going to kill your firstborn. And there's a line there between Israel, my, my child, and you, the world, what's the line? It was circumcision. What had Moses not done? I don't know why. It doesn't say why. We're not told why. It doesn't matter why. I mean, I think of why. I can make it up why. It's like he and Zipporah arguing over it, and, and then she really thinks, this is really dumb. I wouldn't do this. What are you doing? It's bloody and gross. I'm not doing that. And he's like, okay, well, okay. It doesn't really matter. I'm not in Israel anymore. I'm out here in the wilderness with you guys. I'm just hanging. And then, on the way down to Egypt, God strikes in. Why? Because you have to see this image. You have to see how important. You have to see what the ground for relationship is. Because if you don't see this as the ground, you're going to pick something else. And it's going to be around your personal obedience. It's going to be around how you're doing. It's going to be around evaluating your circumstances. It is not going to be around the actual covenant that God makes with you. That's what's going to happen if you don't get this text. You have this picture, right? Moses' salvation is what? It's not his moral character. It's not his leadership or his life choices. It's, it's whether he's family. And family is receiving this sign. His relationship with God. Moses having even has his own child mark. And so you get this picture and, and, and it... You get the picture where his wife, it's not even Moses, he can't even do it. I, I picture him as paralyzed or something, just so sick. And so his wife, who knows what the issue is, his wife cuts, touches him with it. Touches him with the blood. That's what it is, you know. Touched with the blood. Why did it touch with the blood? What's the big deal? What's the big Well, it's, it, it echoes, right? It echoes, it echoes through it all, right? Because what's going to happen with the Passover? With the Passover, you're going to have the Passover lamb, this perfect lamb that you, that, that you kill, and then you take the blood, and this same verb, you touch the blood on the doorposts. And when the angel of death comes over, the blood of the lamb that's been touched on the doorpost, as, as, as the angel comes over, that spares the firstborn, but then the firstborn belongs to God, because you deserve to die. We're talking deep things. We're talking amazing. We're talking blood. 
It's offensive. I'm like, I'd rather God just evaluate my works and see how I'm doing. And, and if I've done okay, I'll go to heaven. If I've been a jerk, then I'll get kicked out. What's the problem? You're a jerk. Me too. And instead, what God has is this deep, amazing, incredible picture of the relationship of what was going on. Because there will come a day that's a thousand years after Moses, plus where God sends his firstborn son. And he dies on a cross. And he sheds his blood. And he's the one that says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you've got no part of me. It's huge. My relationship with God is based on whether I will receive the blood of Christ. Whether I'm identified with him and saying, this is where my hope is. It's in the blood. It's in, it's in what he's done. It's in his death for me. And I die in his death and I get raised in his life. And we call that baptism. I don't know. Maybe you don't. Let's go just. Will you look at one more passage with me? I, no, what I want is, is Colossians 2. Is it not there? This is the New Testament. Listen to this. Just, just walk it through with me and we'll be done. It says, so see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. There are so many ways that people want to get into your heart about how your relationship with God works, and it is about elementary principles of the world. That's called merit. That's called evaluating you. That's called seeing how you're doing and not according to Christ, what he did. Right? Keep going. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, you were what? Circumcised. Oh, now that has meaning. I've been circumcised. Wow. By the circumcision made without hands. Putting off the body of the flesh. That's not my flesh. That's, that's putting off my me. My way of living life by the circumcision of Christ, by his circumcision for me. What does that mean? He circumcised. He gave his life. His blood touches me and you. That's what Paul's talking about. Having been buried with him in baptism, that's you and me, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. See, see, this is our sign. We have baptism. Baptism doesn't save me, but my relationship does. I've received, I've been touched by the blood of the lamb and I'm God's because he died for me and this is where my hope is, nowhere else. And you, it says, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside. He nailed it to the cross. It is about the forgiveness of your sins. It always has been. And Moses, as he goes down to Egypt, you know, and he's thinking, I'm doing this for God, and he told me to do it, and I have a task, and I have a mission. It's about the mission. It's actually not about the mission. It's about, is he family? 
And he was family in the way that pointed forward to how we're family, which is through the blood of Christ, through the circumcision without hands. It's not about cutting off your foreskin. It's about getting touched by the blood. It's about the one who came and died. And Moses points with all his might to that. And God broke into Moses' life even to kill him, to show the importance of how the relationship works. And this is us today, forgiveness in the blood. So here in Exodus, the bridegroom of blood, the bloody husband, It's so unknowable, so wrong to the world, but to us, it's salvation because Jesus is for us. It is beyond science and beyond logic and beyond reasonable moral behavior and hidden in the depths of what life is really about. God and his firstborn, and we get connected in. We are not a community of do-gooders. We are not some social club. We are the blood-bought nobodies and amazed that he loves us. And I know it without a doubt because his blood was shed for me and shed for you. Take it in, precious people. The word of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text and the depth of it and the weirdness of it. And Lord, it offends me. But Lord, we bow before you. You are our God. And our hope is in you saving us. And again, we come and we sing praises to your name and we go into your word that informs our heart that our relationship is about your son, about what Jesus has done for us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, help us to pass this on to our kids, to proclaim it in the streets and in the marketplace, to be about this amazing, amazing sacrifice that you've made for us. Thank you that you treasure us. I don't feel like I deserve it. Grateful. In the name of Jesus. Amen.